0: Seventh chapter of the book of Ezra tonight. Amen. God bless each and every one of you, and we pray that you have a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. But tonight we get the opportunity to thank the Lord and to feed upon His word. Amen. All right, in the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra, in the first ten verses, Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Praise All right, verse 1. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalem, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Miroth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Now that is a long, long genealogy of Ezra, and we'll find out why that is recorded here. Amen. Uh, particularly, though, if you'll notice that he is the grandson of Aaron, the chief priest. So it takes you all the way uh, back to Aaron, Moses, and Aaron, and uh, his lineage uh, with Phineas, and then uh, Aaron himself. Okay. So verse six, it says, "This Ezra went up from Babylon." He was already a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests, and of the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem, into the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your awesome Word. We thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus, that is here, that is in your Word as well. Father, we pray, God, that you would speak to each and every heart. We pray that you would stir our hearts. Let us draw near to you, Lord Jesus. We pray with a pure heart. Lord God, we ask that you would be glorified in this service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> when we come to the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra, the seventh chapter through the end of the book of Ezra, which is Ezra the 10th chapter, we now move into the autobiographical section of Ezra. Now Ezra wrote the book of Ezra, but it is not until we get to the seventh chapter that we even see Ezra on the scene. 60 years have separated or has come between the 6th chapter and the 7th chapter. I don't know if you realize that or not, but 60 years have passed. The temple has been built and then all of a sudden we come to uh, Ezra and Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, and Joshua are not even on the scene at this time. Okay? So that's really important for you to get. Let me say it again, Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, and Joshua the high priest are not even around anymore. So 60 years have, are basically in between the sixth and the seventh chapter when we come to uh, Ezra himself in the autobiographical section of the book of Ezra. And that's very important. Now, that means that Darius is gone. It also means another king by the name of Xerxes rose to power. And he was ruling over there in the days of Esther. His name was Xerxes. In this chapter, we have his son Artaxerxes. So that shows you how much time has come and gone. Okay? Now, let me give you a little time here. Xerxes reigned from 486 B.C. to 464 B.C. And then Artaxerxes, his son, 464 before 425 B.C. So we're talking about Artaxerxes here. So Darius, then Xerxes, the king of in Esther, the book of Esther, and then Artaxerxes, his son, is who we're talking about in this chapter. Now, Artaxerxes was in power in Persia during the days of Ezra's return to Jerusalem and also Nehemiah's return. So that shows you how far in history we are now, Okay. And when you talk about this king Artaxerxes, we are moving very close to the end of the Old Testament scripture. Did you see that? Do you understand that? Because Nehemiah is the last of the historical writings of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is. So Artaxerxes is the king of Ezra and the king of Nehemiah's day in Persia. So we're moving close to the end of the canon of Scripture here. When we come in, that that might not seem important to you, but that's big time important. Okay? So you have to get this, you have to understand, because a lot of times you read the book of Ezra, you go from 6 to 7, you think it's right there together. But there's at least 60 years or so separating the 6th and the 7th chapter. Okay? So Ezra wrote the whole book, but now we're coming to the autobiographical section of the book of Ezra. Now, we're going to talk about Ezra. First of all, Ezra was a lover of the Word of God. He loved God's Word with all of his heart. In fact, Ezra, Jewish scholars say that Ezra was responsible for establishing synagogue worship in Babylon. How many of y'all have heard of synagogues? That it was Ezra who was the one that started or established the worship of the synagogues in Babylon while he was in Babylon. Number two, he is responsible for the canonization of the Old Testament. That means that he was the one that was involved in determining what books in the Old Testament that you have today, what books would be in that Old Testament. That's called canonization. Okay? And Jewish scholars say that he is the one that is responsible for putting the Old Testament together as we know it today. He is also responsible for hermeneutics. Okay? Which means the interpretation of Scripture, the laws. When you talk about hermeneutics, you're talking about laws that you use to interpret the Scriptures. One of those laws, like the law of first mention. You don't know what something means, go back and find out where it's first mentioned. And then you will find out what it means through the rest of the Bible. Okay? So he is given the... uh, Actually, the... uh, From the Jewish scholars, the authority or the one who did that, the one who came up with biblical interpretation or hermeneutics. So this man is a great minister of the Word of God. In fact, Jewish scholars call him the second Moses. Alright? That is how influential Ezra is. And I'll be honest with you, Ezra does not get the attention that he should get You think about all I just said right there in just the first five to ten minutes of however long I've been going. You think about what I just said, how important this man is to God, to the Bible, to the history of the Bible, to the fact that we even have a Bible today is connected to this awesome man of God named Ezra. He was a prophet. He was a scribe. He was in the lineage of Aaron the high priest, which means he could have been a great high priest or a high priest in the lineage, okay? So he is a tremendous man of God. And I will repeat it. He is seen as the second Moses to the Jews. That is how important this man is. Amen. And if he's that important to them, he's also that important to us. Because we wouldn't even have the Old Testament canon as we know it today if it was not for this man. And his love for the word of the living God. Amen? So we're going to start talking about Ezra then tonight. Praise the Lord. The writer of the book. And we're going to find out what it takes to be a leader. What it takes to be a leader. How many of y'all want to be a leader? That's good. You're all kings and priests unto the Lord. And the Bible says we are to make our calling, say with me, calling, and election sure. If you are a king, priest, and you are, Every one of us here tonight need to make our calling, say our calling. That means everybody here tonight is called. And we are told in the Bible to make our calling and our election sure. It's not just the pastor that has a call in his life. Every one of you who are priests, kings in the kingdom of God have a calling and an election and you have to make it sure. Alright, so what I'm going to say tonight applies to everybody but especially those who are called into the ministry. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Lord. Okay, let's look at then in uh, verse 1, we see, uh, the Bible tells us, now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son, and I'm not going to read through that genealogy again, but the connection here is given all the way down at the bottom. He says that he is connected to Phineas, who was the grandson of Aaron, the high priest. Already we have a genealogy, a spiritual connection of this man. What kind of spiritual genealogy does he have? Who were his mentors? Okay, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have a spiritual genealogy. You have to have mentors in your life. And so the first thing that's mentioned about Ezra is his genealogy. Who was his mentors? Who was in the background of this man that uh, caused him to be such a spiritual giant? Say, praise the Lord. Praise now when we get in the New Testament, it's not based on nationality anymore. okay? There's neither Jew nor Greek In Christ Jesus, it's not important anymore. All right, as far as your nationality is concerned, what is important is that you have been born again of the water and the Spirit, and you are a part of the new creation of God. That God has made you a new creation individual. That's what's important in the New Testament. Okay, say praise the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you're a Levite. In those days, you had to be a Levite to be a priest. In these days, you don't have to be a Levite. You don't have to be an Israelite to be a preacher. But you have to be a new creation in God. Okay, say amen. But still, when we look at this section here, we find out that there is an importance that we know who our spiritual leaders are. Okay? Even though I might not need to be a natural Levite tonight, I need to know who my spiritual genealogy is. Who are my mentors? If you're called of God to serve the Lord, to be a leader, you have to know who your spiritual daddy is. You have to know who your spiritual father is. You have to have mentors. If you don't have mentors, if you don't have a spiritual father in your life, you will never be able to accomplish very much in the kingdom of God. It is very important for those that are called that they have a spiritual genealogy. They, they can say, I know who my father is. And I know who my mentors are. And based on that, who your mentors are, who your spiritual fathers are will determine how much really you accomplish in the kingdom of God. And so we see Ezra... Right off, the Bible shows us his connection. Who his spiritual fathers were. Who his mentors were. Okay, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to know that. That's why oftentimes you'll hear me make mention of Brother Dice, okay? And the reason I do that is because I have a connection or had a connection with him uh, while he was alive. He's with the Lord now. But I had a connection with Brother Dice, okay? He was my mentor. And so I'm always making reference to him because I know... Who I'm connected to. Who I was connected to as far as ministry is concerned. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you're going to do anything in the kingdom of God. You have to have a mentor. And you have to have a spiritual father. And this man Ezra had that. So that's why we have such a lengthy uh, uh, genealogy given here. Right off at the start. Now go to Numbers 25. And... Made reference uh, to Phinehas in Numbers 25. Who is Phinehas? Well, he's the grandson of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. Now, what is interesting about him is that in a time of licentious idolatry, extreme idolatry, this man rises up to turn. The plague of God away from Israel. Because Israel is in idolatry. They are backsliding away from the Lord. Now listen carefully. Before we get through the end of of the book of Ezra, you're going to see that Ezra is going to do a very similar thing. That God's going to raise this man of God up at a time when Israel is backsliding away from the Lord. And it is only by the power of the preaching of the Word of God through Ezra, that these people who are backsliding away from God move into revival. Okay? So Phinehas, he's got this spiritual heritage in his background, Ezra does, being connected to Phineas, the grandson of Aaron the high priest. Because Phineas does something very similar. In a time when Israel, when the church is backsliding away from God, there is a man by the name of Phinehas that rises up when the devil's trying to bring the world, the devil, and the flesh into the, to the midst of the people of God. Phinehas rises up. Now, I'm not going to uh, read all the story to you, but in Numbers 25, you can read it. What happened was, Balaam taught Balak how to trip Israel up. Now, you will remember that Balaam wanted to curse the people of God. But every time he tried to curse the people of God, he couldn't curse the people of God because the people of God were blessed by God. But he wanted to, but he couldn't because God. How can you bless? How make you? How can you curse what God has blessed? So he'd try to curse the people of God, and all he could do is just bless them because God had blessed them. See, Balak wanted Balaam to curse them. Balaam could not curse him, so he says, Okay, King Balak, here's what I can tell you. If you can get these people to mix, if you can get them to intermarry with the unbeliever, when they intermarry with the unbeliever, then the world, the devil, and the flesh is going to come into the midst of the people. Just get them to marry an unbeliever And those people who marry an unbeliever will begin to worship the gods of their spouses. And so what happened was Balaam taught Balak this teaching of intermarrying here causing the people to stumble. And if you read through Numbers 25, you'll see what happened is that these Israelite men started intermarrying with the Midianitish women. Okay? And they fell into idolatry as a result of that. Well, God sent a plague on the people because of them falling into idolatry and intermarrying with the heathen women and having relationships with them. So plague comes on on the people. Are y'all here today? because the world, the devil, and the flesh has been allowed to come into the midst of the people of God. And a man by the name of Phineas, he's got so much zeal. It's, it's just, as you read the story, the zeal that this man had. God recognized his zeal and he honored his zeal. But let me just tell you, just without reading it to you, you can read it in your leisure. He took a javelin, Okay and there was a israelite man having a relationship with a medianittish woman in the tent and phineas got a javelin he had so much of a zeal for god he took that javelin and he ran it right through that israelite man and then through the belly of the woman that he was having a relationship and he killed both of them that's pretty gruesome isn't it but that's the zeal that this man had for god See, the people, the, uh, the camp, the church was going away from God and going into idolatry. And the plague of the Lord was on the people as a result of that. But when Phinehas plunged that javelin through that Israelite man and that Midianitish woman, it stopped the judgment of God and the plague that was on the nation of Israel. And God made a statement about Phinehas, if you'll look at it, in verse uh, 10. Twenty-five, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so he's the grandson of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. See his zeal just got a hold of him, and and what he did. And killing that Israelite man and that Midianite woman, stop the plague of God. And so the Lord is, is honoring this man's zeal for him. Say praise God. praise God. And the Lord goes on and says about this man Phinehas, He says, the priesthood will not depart from this man's house. You with me? Okay, look at it. Verse 12, Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made atonement for the children of Israel. So when you go to the book of Ezra and you see that Ezra is in the lineage of this man Phineas, God is keeping His promise. He said that hit. Now listen, this genealogy here is not even connected to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is not a Levite. Jesus Christ is of the tribe of Judah. But the genealogy is still given because the importance is there for you to see that this man Ezra is connected. He has a spiritual father. He's got a mentor in his lineage that was full of the zeal of God. So zealous that when the people were moving into idolatry and God began to judge them, He put a stop to it by running a javelin through those two people. And God honored that, and so Ezra is connected to that type of spiritual lineage, that type of zeal. So when he comes on the scene, he's going to turn a backslidden Israel around. Revival's going to hit the, the people of God, in the, especially later on as we read in the book of Ezra. Revival's going to hit those people because this man has a zeal for the Word of God. And he's going to stand up and he's going to preach, he's going to have a wood pulpit. And he's going to stand it. he's going to preach the Word of God. And when he preaches the Word of God, revival is going to hit those people. Are you all hearing me? So, there's a reason why we have the lineage here. It's to show you the connection. What kind of spiritual father this individual had. Okay, the zeal. Where would it come from? Where would the love come from? Because he had mentors in his life. And he had a spiritual father in his life that had that kind of background and so when he comes on the scene he's going to be like his daddy if you will he's going to be like his mentor if you will and he's going to turn ungodliness away from jacob no wonder in jesus when he in the new testament when he saw all of the mess in the in the temple of the lord man he went in there throwing tables over he drove out the money changers he drove out the animals out of there and the disciples remembered a scripture that came to them about the Lord. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Amen. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. And so that's what was in Phineas. He had a zeal for God. He had a zeal for righteousness, for holiness. And Ezra is connected to that lineage. And his granddaddy was Aaron the high priest. And God was so pleased with Phinehas dra- driving that javelin through uh, that Israelite man and that Midianite woman and stopping the play. He was so pleased with Phinehas' zeal for him that he said, The priesthood is going to remain in your house. In your house. And Ezra could have been a priest. Amen? They were in captivity, there was no temple uh, in the days when they were in captivity. So, what did you do? He couldn't be a priest. He couldn't be a high priest. You know what he did? He spent his time studying the Word of the living God. This man loved God's Word. And he comes on the scene and he's influenced history from his day. And the book of Ezra is a type of the present day church. Are you with me? So if you want to be a leader, now, okay, listen to me carefully. What I'm going to teach you tonight here is it doesn't apply to the business world. There are principles that, that, yes, you know, you can you can grab a hold of. But if you don't have the favor of God, what I'm going to teach you tonight is not about uh, the President of the United States. It's not about a businessman. If you're a Christian businessman, it applies. But if you're not a Christian businessman, it really doesn't apply. Because you have to have the favor of God like Ezra did. To do what Ezra did. Because we're not talking about a business here. We're talking about the church of the living God. So I've got to tell you that right off before some of you business leaders run out there and want to apply these principles to the business world. This is about the church of the living God. Amen? Are y'all here tonight? So if you want to be used by God, you have to have a spiritual father And you have to have mentors in your life. When you start severing those cords and separating yourself from fathers or mentors in your life, you are not going to go very far in the work of God. It is extremely important that you have people that will cultivate, that will work with you. Amen. Amen. That that you will be trained to, uh, to do the work of the ministry. Say praise the Lord. And so this man Ezra, he's got it. He's got it in his background. He says, I'm a true Israelite. I'm a a Levite. I'm a true Israelite. I've got it. It's recorded. Now remember in the third chapter, there were some men that could not find their genealogy. They couldn't prove who they were. They didn't even know if they were Israelites. Much less if they even had a right to be in the priesthood. They couldn't prove it. But this man here in the seventh chapter, he can prove his roots. He can prove his genealogy. He can prove he's a true Israelite, that he's he's a Levite, that he's got a right to be in the priesthood. But he's not just a priest, he's a prophet of the living God that's going to turn uh, ungodliness from Jacob. Give the Lord praise tonight. So if you're ever going to do anything in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to know who your spiritual father is. Amen? Your spiritual father in ministry. Who is your mentor? It's very, very important. And this man has that in his life. Say "Praise praise the Lord. Now that's a part of the preparation. Okay, of Ezra. A part of his preparation is this connection with spiritual fathers and mentors in his life. Say with me, preparation. preparation. The preparation of this man. Now let's keep reading down just a little bit. Are you all with me? Did I lose you? Verse 6 <laughs> is also about his uh, preparation. And it says that Ezra went up from Babylon. Wow. Well, let's just stop right there. Number two, what makes this man a powerful leader in God is that he could relate to the people. Because he was in captivity just like they were in captivity. So he left Babylon, amen, and he made the journey eight, nine hundred miles from Babylon back to Jerusalem. He knew what it was like to be in captivity. Amen? So you could say, again, we have the mystery of the, the principle of the incarnation. That this man knew what it was like to be this people. He lived among them. Amen? He was with them in the captivity. If you can understand that, gifting the giftings of God come in incarnation. They're fleshed out in men. Okay? So we see a man here who has the mentorship, he's got the spiritual fathers in his background, but he also was with the people in captivity. So he's, if you will, Jesus came, God incarnate, dwelling among the people. He came to be with people, to be a person, God in flesh, and be among people. Say amen. Amen. He was made like unto his brethren, Hebrews says. Okay? Okay. So we have the Incarnation here in Ezra. He went from Babylon to Jerusalem just like these other people did. Say amen. Alright, so he, he knew what it was like to be a, a, in the midst of these kinds of people. He's been in similar situations. Say with me, experience. So a part of preparation is knowing who your spiritual fathers are, who your mentors are, and then number three, experience. This man, Ezra, had the same experience that the people he was going to minister to had. Say experience. Experience. If you don't have experience, you're going to fail. You've got to have experience. So the Bible is very clear that he left Babylon and he went to Jerusalem. So he is a man uh, with experience. Say praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. We go a little bit further. It says, and he was already a scribe in the law of Moses. Now, this means if he's a scribe, this means that he's very skilled in the word of God. Okay? Am I losing you? Okay. He's, he's already a scribe. He's a very, very skilled individual in the law of God. And I've already told you something about his background. Okay? At the beginning of the message. So this man, is he's, he's a learned man. He knows the law of God as a scribe. He knows it in and out, okay? He's an interpreter of the law. Now if you saw a scribe in the days of, of Israel, you could you could tell who a scribe was because they'd have keys in his apparel. Alright? You could see him standing on the street corner. You could say, that's a scribe standing over there. He's a lawyer. Not in the sense of an attorney, but he's a lawyer in the sense that he can interpret the Word of God And this man, Ezra, was a scribe. He had keys. He could interpret the law of the living God. Amen? Amen. He knew how to explain it. He knew all about it. So he was a scribe. He was skilled. He knew the Word of God. That simply means this, church, that you cannot be a leader unless you become one over time. Say, so He was already a scribe. There's no such thing as a leader overnight. Anybody that becomes a leader overnight will fall on their face and they will fail. You cannot be a leader overnight. You have to be skilled. And that takes a long time. It's a process of preparation. Okay? A lot of studying involved in uh, uh, the Word of God and so on and so forth. Are you with me here? No such thing as, as quick leaders. It's a, a an ongoing, long-term process to become a leader. If you're a leader overnight, you're going to fail. Okay? So this man then is not like that. This man's already a scribe. He's already at that level. Okay? where he is skilled in the law of God, and that took time. It took years. When he was in captivity, that's what he did, was he studied the Word of God. He set up the synagogue worship. This man is gone through a, t- a very lengthy time of preparation and a study of the Word of God. Say amen. 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 And you say, well, it looks like you know this person just got into church and they're baptized in his name and they got the Holy Ghost and... You can tell they're really anointed. And, and so let's put them in the pulpit. Or let's put them in ministry. No, it's it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Maybe there is an anointing there. Maybe there is a little bit of excitement there. Maybe there's a little bit of light in them, okay? But you don't put them in leadership just because you see an anointing on them or a little excitement about the things of God. You have to watch them through a period of time. Right, yes. How are they going to respond in these situations? Okay. And it takes a long time to become a leader. A good one. Now you might be a leader, you know. Praise a little bit. Are you a good leader? Takes a long time. Doesn't happen overnight. No such thing. Okay. So this man is already a scribe. That means he's trained in the word of God. And it takes a lot of time. Okay. To become this. Are you with me? Amen. Okay, so spiritual, genealogy, mentorship, experience. And then number four, no leader becomes a good leader overnight. They have to be skilled. They have to go through process, preparation, pain, pace, all of that. It's very difficult to become a leader, a good leader, in, especially in the things of God. You might go take a six month class in a college and go get you a job somewhere. But in the things of God, in the church, it takes a long time of process, pace, pain. Amen. Before you find out what your purpose is. Amen. Trying to help you. Trying to help myself. Trying to help myself. Now watch. So he went up from Babylon, experienced. He was already scribe of the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel. Amen? So the next thing you've got to have is you have to have favor. This man had God's Favor. God's blessing was on Ezra. Right? Not only did he have favor with the church people, but he had favor with a pagan king. You with me? Good leaders are going to have favor not just with the church people, but they're going to have favor with people that are in the world. And that doesn't mean that they're compromisers. Amen. But they're going to have favor with people in the world and sometimes great kings. Daniel had favor with a great king. Ezra had favor with a great king, Artaxerxes. Okay? So he had favor. Now, good leaders are going to have favor. First of all, it talks about the favor that came from somebody that was outside the church. And that was Artaxerxes. He was outside the church. But Ezra had the favor of this outsider. And then it goes on and talks about the people that were in the church were willing to follow him. They were willing to leave uh, Persia eight 900 miles away and travel all the way back to Jerusalem, uproot, leave everything they had, and follow this man named Ezra through a desert because he had the favor of God on his life. God's blessing was on him. There's no way he could have talked to these people. They were rooted, man. They were hunkered down in the world, if you will. And Ezra's fixing to bring a second second return, a second wave back to Jerusalem. And who would want to even go back to Jerusalem at this point? The only reason why they wanted to go back with Ezra is because Ezra was convincing. He could convince them about how important it was for you to go back to Jerusalem. So he had the favor of an outsider, a great king, and he had the favor of a church which came as a result of God's blessing on the man's life. And I'm not talking turkey to you tonight. I'm telling you the truth. He had the blessing of God, the favor of God in his life, and as a result of that, he had favor with outsiders and favor with the church. Okay, Not long ago, Sister came to my office and she wanted to talk to me. She said, "Pastor, are you sure you're called?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'm sure I call. I'm called because it's never left me. Um, when I started preaching, I knew I was called because it wasn't an emotional thing that came and went. It was with me all the time. That's all I thought about was ministry. That's all I thought about. Okay." So number one, I know I'm called as a result of that, but I said, here's what you need to know. I'm going to ask you a question. You ask me a question if I'm called. I ask you a question. Do you believe I am? And the sister in the church said, yes, I believe you are. And we started talking about, well, why do you, why do you believe that I am? Why do you believe that I am? She said, well, my life's been changed. My life's been changed. I'm a different person. I said, "You have your answer," and 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 you know, and this is what I told her. I said, "Number one, I believe I'm called. I'm preaching the same thing that the sent ones preached, the apostles. Okay, and it never left me. But aside from that, I can tell you that if you're really called, you will have a following." if you will, you'll have favor with somebody. And if you don't have a following, you can stand up, and, I'm a prophet. You're a prophet of who? One. Or maybe even a prophet of none. You'd be surprised how many people talk about, I'm a prophet of God. I'm an apostle, you know. I'm not a pastor, you know. And nobody follows them. But they walk around, they carry titles. That's all they have is titles. Who are you? I'm prophet prophet so-and-so. I'm apostle so-and-so. Really? To who? Nobody. Well, how do you know you're an apostle? How do you know you're a prophet then? If you don't have anybody following you. If you don't have any, any favor with anybody. So this is what I told this young sister. I said, sister, I said, first of all, you know, I've already gone through the reason why I believe I am. But I'm asking you, do you believe I am? He said, yes, because my life's been changed. And I said, you have your answer. Because if I really wasn't called of God today, there would not be people that I would be preaching to, but nobody would follow me, number one. I wouldn't have favor with anybody in the church, praise God. If I don't have favor with anybody in the church, and nobody wants to follow me, then how can I be a pastor? To be a pastor, you have to have people. people, amen, who want to follow you. People who recognize the blessings of God on your life, the anointing of God on your life, recognize the call on your life. Amen. And if nobody following you and there's no favor, you don't have favor with anybody, then are you really called? So I answered. That's exactly how I answered her. Okay? Because that is the truth. This man was a true leader of God because he had favor with the people that were outside in the world Great kings. And also he had the favor of people. Listen to me. Can you imagine how difficult it would be for Ezra to, to, pe- to <clears throat> tell people that are hunkered down in Babylon, their businesses are there, maybe their, you know, their families are there, their homes are there. Everything's pretty good for them. For them just to uproot and leave Babylon, leave it all behind. Travel 900 miles through a wilderness and go back to Jerusalem. You know how hard that would be? If this man did not have the blessings of God on him, this, even Artaxerxes was greatly impressed by this man Ezra. This great king Artaxerxes, not even a believer in God, was impressed by Ezra. Are y'all here today? Okay, so you have to have the favor of people and ultimately the favor of God. Say, praise the Lord. Now, I may have the favor of God on me today, and God may call me uh, to preach right here, but you know what? If I start losing favor with you, I'm not going to be here long. If you get to a place in your life where you don't want to follow me anymore, you don't want to listen to me anymore, I don't have favor with you anymore, it's time for me to pack up and go somewhere else. That's just the way it is. And you say, Pastor, I, we don't want you to go anywhere. I'm just telling you. That if a man doesn't have a following, if he doesn't have people that, you know, that he's in favor with, it's over for it. him. Yeah. It's just the way it is. And we can try, you know, come on now, come on, come on, you know. Try to encourage people. But friend, I'm just telling you something. Unless there's a people who want to follow you, unless there's people that you have favor with, you are wasting your time. Because leaders are going to have favor with people. They're going to have favor with people in the world. And people in the church. And when they stand up or they, they try to get you to go a certain direction, it's because, because there's favor there. You here today? And, and I love every one of you, but it's a great concern to me. That a lot of times when we go through things as a church, as a people here in Odessa, we go through things as a church. It's real easy for um, the pastor to fall out of favor. You know, God help us, because if I ever lose favor with you, it's over. Listen to what I'm saying to you, okay? Because I can't say, okay, well I'm called to God and nobody wants to follow. Come on, it's common sense, isn't it? So if a leader's really called to God, he's going to have somebody that wants to follow him or her. Where's where's the proof? Ezra has the proof. He's got the proof here. He's not just talking about being a leader. The proof is here. He's got the favor of a great king. A great king is impressed with him. He's got the favor of a church people who are hunkered down in Babylon. They favor him so much they're willing to uproot and travel 900 miles and start their lives completely over. So these are the things that some of you are going to need to know when you step out and you start trying to do the work of God some of you don't even care you know because you, number one now listen I'm not, I'm not saying that just to hit you okay I'm not doing that because some of you don't even know where you are and if you don't know where you are you for sure don't even know where you're going but you got to find out where you are understand before you can know where you're going but I'm preaching to some people here that know where you are and you know where you're going praise the Lord and you're not going to make mistakes if you listen to what this is teaching us out of the word of God this man had favor that determines if he's a true leader or not okay in the church now can a president rule a country if he doesn't have favor with that country all he is is a figurehead that's all he is he's just a figurehead he's not leading anybody he's just a figurehead and I, want, I love every one of you, but there's one thing that I will never never become by God's grace, and that's a figurehead. That means I just come up here and I just, I'm just a figurehead and I'm just a pastor, you know, or a preacher. But there's no more accountability from the church to the pastor and you're over there doing your own thing, running your own show. Forget that stuff. I'm never going to be a figurehead in your life. Because God didn't call me to be a figurehead. God called me to be a pastor over you. Amen? To have headship over you. And so there has to be accountability to your pastor. I will not be your figurehead. I will not collect your tithes, want to put them in the bank and just be content with that. It's not going to work. So if it's truly of God, it's, I, that's why I say it's not a business thing. If it's truly of God, you've got to have the favor, come on, of people in the world and favor with people in the church. And this man, Ezra, had that because the blessings of God was on this man's life. And a king, a pagan king could see that. Do you understand that? And a church in Babylon could see that to the point they would want to get up, uproot and completely change their their life. Now, praise the Lord. You better be a man of God there's cult leaders, man, they've taken people out in the boondocks, you know, and gave them Kool-Aid to drink. Well, if you're a true man of God, he's not going to give you Kool-Aid to drink with stuff in it, right? I mean, obviously. But I'm telling you, you see, I'm not just giving you one thing. I'm not just saying, okay, favorite is all you need to be a true leader. You have to have spiritual a spiritual genealogy. You have to have mentors in your life. You have to have experience, okay? You have to go through a period of process and preparation, studying the Word of God. And then, as a result of the blessings of God that's on your life, you will have favor with people. And if you don't have favor with people, you'll never succeed. Amen? So, praise the Lord. and It's a great concern for me, and I'm being honest with you today. Because oftentimes really I, I I'm you know, I'm not some little two year old. I can discern when I fall out of favor with you. Okay? And when I do, that's scary. Because that means I lose my influence, my ability to pastor you. And all I do is I'll become a figurehead, don't even know what's going on in your life, don't even know what you're doing. You know, that's that's not the way ministry works. Okay? You have to have favor. Say, hey, praise the Lord. Favor. And I got I have I believe I have favor tonight. And so that's why I told that sister. I said, I said, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you think I'm called? Yeah, I do. She said. My life's been changed. I'm a different person. You have your answer. I might not be a pastor or a preacher to everybody, but I am a pastor and a preacher to you. Amen. I don't want to be in a I don't want to be a a pastor to everybody. I only want to be a pastor to those who God has assigned me to. And only those who are assigned to me. Okay? I have no desire to pastor everybody in Odessa, Texas. Okay, do you understand? Say praise the Lord. But so if you're looking just for a professional person, if you're just looking for a professional preacher, then you're not looking at it. Because I'm not a professional preacher and I'm not a figurehead and you can forget that. You can forget it. Okay? What's going on in your life? What are you doing? Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm not trying to lord over you, but have you ever noticed something when you're close to your pastor, how things seem to be going pretty well for you and all of a sudden you start doing your own thing no accountability everything just starts falling apart on you You ever notice that there's a reason for that because blessings follow the man of God God put his blessing on the man of God and if you're right with your pastor God can bless you if you're not right with your pastor you're doing your own thing God can't bless you because you're trying to rule and run your own life you can have your own life but you have to have leadership Okay, say praise the Lord. Okay, you with me? So, spiritual genealogy. Who's your father? Mentorship, right? Experience. Amen? Doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process of training and then you have to have favor. You understand what I'm saying? And just because you get on television and you know, and they got a title. They're a bishop this and a bishop that and a bishop this and an apostle this and a prophet this. And, a... and they sound good in front of a camera or look good in front of a camera. Who's following them? Who's their, who's their fathers? That's what qualifies you in ministry. It's not how much Bible college you have. Are you here tonight? You know what qualifies you for ministry? You go back to the priesthood. If I had time, I'd go over there and show you what qualifies you for the ministry. In order for you to be a priest, you had to wear Aaron's clothes for a period of time. Okay? There were going to be a, there's going to be a change, a transfer from, from Aaron to one of his sons. And when that transfer took place, the son had to wear his daddy's clothes for a period of time. What qualifies you for ministry is that you have a spiritual father. Father. Not an organization, not a denomination, not a Bible college degree. What qualifies you for ministry is that you can point to somebody and say, that's my daddy and I wore his clothes. Amen? No wonder when Elijah Elijah was taken up, Elijah's taken up. Elijah's standing there and he says, he did not say, My prophet, my prophet! He says, My father, my father! And then the mantle of ministry comes down and he takes it up and he goes out and does twice the miracles that Elijah did. Because he didn't just have the anointing. He had the authority that came from the mantle. But the only reason why he could take the mantle of, of Elijah was because he understood my father, my father, not my prophet, my prophet. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what qualifies you for ministry. I'm going to go get me a degree. Oh, praise the Lord. Go ahead. I'm going to join a denomination. Have a denomination support me. Okay. If that's what you think the answer to ministry is, you go right ahead. All right? If that's not the answer. You have it. Okay? You with me here now? So Ezra's got all of these things in his history. Not just favor, but he's got a heritage. You've got a heritage, church. I thank God for it. I thank God for it. Amen. Amen. Are you all awake? And the Bible says, according to the hand of the Lord God, Lord his God was upon him. That's, that's why he had favor with the great king and the people. Because the hand of God was on him. His blessing of God was on the man's life. Say amen. amen. Now, if you want to be churchy and you want to play churchy, this is not the church for you. We do it according to the order of God, the ways of God. And it wasn't about a man. It wasn't about Ezra. The hand of God was on the man. That means that everything that he did had the favor of God on it, the blessing of God upon it. And as a result of that, what he did glorified God. It didn't glorify Ezra. His motive wasn't to exalt himself. His motive wasn't that he get the glory. His motive was that God get the glory. That's why it says that God's hand was upon him. The hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. That means God gets the glory. Are you understanding that? Because Jesus is the leader. <laughs> Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head, and all leaders, true leaders, flow out of Him because He is the head. So Ezra is flowing out of God because. Are oh, you with me? You with me? You understand that? This is going to be the best thing. This is going to be the best thing you eat in the next what seventy-two hours. You're going to eat turkey and pie and everything's going to be real good tomorrow. And I know that, but what I'm feeding you, and I see all you could you didn't. somebody didn't even know I was going to preach tonight. But how could I not preach tonight? If we did. Got to feed you a little bit, you know, something real, and then you can go eat all of that turkey and stuff tomorrow. Praise the Lord! But I'm going to give you some food to think about. While you're eating turkey. Okay? give you some spiritual meat. He did it for the glory of God and not the glory of Himself. It wasn't a selfish motive. It was about God. It was about the Word of God. He was driven by that. Glorifying God. Glorifying God. Glorifying God. And so to the leaders in the church today, Sunday school leaders, choir, whatever you're in, and you're in a leadership type capacity, You need to understand tonight that it's for the glory of God. You're laboring for the glory of God. It gets hard. It gets hard. Really. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about, you know, Brother Patrick, Sister Jacqueline, and and Brother Timothy and Sister Michelle back there. They work with the youth. and, And you know how I know that they need to be doing what they're doing? Because I can come into a youth service and after they get through preaching, there's young people in these altars praying, seeking God. They're crying. They're speaking with tongues. You understand? There's a, there's a spiritual influence that's there. Praise the Lord. And I thank God for that. And I mean, You know, that's just one example that comes to my heart and my mind right now. But, but y'all need to thank the Lord for these leaders. Because that it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job to be a youth leader. It's not an easy job to be a Sunday school teacher. Praise God. You have to be able to command. You understand? Command, if you will, and influence there. You have to command. If I walked in here in a youth service and the youth were hanging off the walls and one of the brothers is over here preaching to them and they're, they're over there in the foyer playing games, dominoes, and the leaders in here preaching, you know what? I'd, I'd have to change leaders because then I would know I don't have a leader here. If I see them following after the things of God and seeking after the things of God, I know, I know I'm not going to mess it up now. They can mess it up, but I'm not going to mess it up. when we have results, man, we're going to leave it just like it is. They they get burned out, whatever. Say, Pastor, I'm burned out. I don't want to do this anymore. That's fine. Praise the Lord. But at least right now, they're getting the job done. And there's fruit. There has to be fruit. What are you doing? What are you doing in the church? I'm not getting on I'm just telling you. Yeah. Okay. Help me, God. Calm me down. Calm down. I'm going to calm down a little bit. This is Thanksgiving Eve. I, I got to be careful. I can't get too zealous on Thanksgiving Eve. Man, y'all got turkeys. You got to go cook. I got turkey. I got to go cook. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm calm down here. Praise the Lord. In your turkey, give me some tryptophan. Is that what's in that turkey? I think that's what it is. Huh? You don't know either? I uh, tryptophan, I think. That's what makes you go to sleep. I'm gonna get I'm gonna you know, they got pills, brother. You you're into bodybuilding, they got pills now you can buy. It's got tryptophan, all kinds of stuff in it make you sleep at night so you can get all real, you know, real strong. Praise the Lord. You can't sleep at night, you know, because your body's sore and everything. And just get you some tryptophan in capsule form and just start popping tryptophan, man. Hallelujah. You'll be to sleep all night long and then the next day you can lift weights and be, feel real good. Amen. Right? But he already knows all this, man. He's a, he's a doctor at this stuff. I'm not telling him anything. If I want to know something, I go to him. If I want to know something about that, praise the Lord. Now let's go on a little bit further here. Let's see. All right. Did I lose you with him? God help me tonight. Preparation. The favor he had, ultimately to glorify God. And he has to be a man of ability, or she has to be a person of ability. He's already a scribe, the Bible says. See, that that was a part of preparation, obviously. But if he's prepared and then he becomes a scribe, that means he's able, he's got the ability. There's a lot of people who want to be leaders, but they don't have the ability to do it. To be a good leader, a true leader, you have to have ability. Say ability. It's not just a, a zeal or a desire. But are you able? Are you able? God will put His hand on you. Paul said it this way, who is sufficient for these things? He didn't feel sufficient for it. But God's hand will come on you and help you. He enables us, okay? Now, this ability. Man, studying, studying, studying the Word of God. Knowing... Gaining knowledge of the law of Moses, as it says in verse 6, that ability was there. His ability to influence people, to influence a great king, to influence people, to be willing to follow him out of Babylon to go to Jerusalem. That takes ability to convince people to do that. Amen? Verse 7, it talks about these people that went, went up. There went up some of the children of Israel and the priests, the Levites, the singers, the porters, the Nethanims, and Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Look at this. Remember, we already talked about it. When Zerubbabel and Joshua went up with that first group, not very many priests went. Not very many Levites went. But all of a sudden, we got a second wave, a second wave, if you will that comes and it's 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 through Ezra brother it's through Ezra the second wave it's it's given them another opportunity if you will or chance they weren't willing to leave the first time but when Ezra rises up God sends a second wave okay and gives these priests another opportunity to get out of babylon do you understand that And he had the ability to convince them so that they got up and they left everything behind to be in the will of God. They didn't leave the first time, but they did the second wave, the second wave. Praise God. You've seen waves in the work of God here in Bible Center Fellowship. The first great wave that I remember that happened at Bible Center Fellowship, there was a group of you that came in at the same time. Okay? How many of y'all came in basically at the same time? Y'all remember coming in at the same time? It's just like I looked up here, we only had a few people, all of a sudden, just this first wave of people just come in, you know. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't know that we've had a second wave like that yet. Where we have people, you know, just come in. By, a few thousand are going to go back with Ezra in this second wave, in this second return, okay? Willing to now that weren't willing to before. Now they're ready. Now they're willing. Because of a man like Ezra, a second Moses, who's willing to lead them out of the captivity. You understand? Man, This is a man of God, church. He was a man of God. These people recognize, these priests recognize he was a man of God. Recognize it. They recognize he was a prophet. They recognize he was a scribe. They recognize that God's hand was on him, blessing him. They recognize it. That's why they were willing to follow. They recognized that he was able, that he was prepared. So we see they leave in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Now that's 455 BC. And they leave in the first month. 455 B.C., they leave in the first month, and the first month will be our March or April. Okay? It takes them five months or so to get there. They don't get there until August of 455 B.C. Five months. Can you imagine? Traveling five months, going through a hot desert, eating sand every day. They couldn't catch a jet plane from Babylon to Jerusalem. They had to travel Many of them by foot, camels, hard, hot, very difficult, but they were willing to make that journey. Five months. They left the first month in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, and they got there. The Bible says a little bit further down in the fifth month. Are you with me in the seventh year? And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. Amen? Well, why is he able to go? Because in verse 6, the king granted it to him, granted his request. Ezra got permission from this great king, Artaxerxes, to leave. And we'll see, we're going to see the letter that accompanied Ezra, not tonight, but later, maybe next week. The letter that accompanied Ezra. The permission the king gave him that he could go back with these people. The second wave of the second return. March or April, 4, 4, 455 B.C. and get to the fifth month, August, 455 B.C. About five months to get there. By permission of the king. A few thousand people following with him. And they make it. Say, they make it. Good things happen. When you have people in leadership who have spiritual genealogies, mentorship, experience, they're prepared, they're able, they have favor, they have the hand of God on them. You get somebody like that, things are going to go good. Things are going to go well for the people. It's going to go well for the people. Amen? You don't want a situation where it's just total confusion and chaos and everything's out of order. You don't want a situation like that. That's not a good thing. Amen? There's no security in that. You got somebody that's really called of God that have, have these things in their background then good things will come to the people. And so they make it after about five months travel, they make it. Good things are coming to the people. Amen. You get a bad leader. You get, you get, you get a wrong leader. You get a leader that's not really called to God. You've got nothing but mess and chaos in your hands. I mean, it's... Good things come though. If it's really of God. Doesn't mean it's not going to be challenged. We've already seen that the challenge of the enemy can be challenged. But good things will come. We remain faithful to the Lord. Appreciate you listening tonight. Verse 9 For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up at, from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of God upon him. God's blessing was on the man. It's the only thing that enabled this man to succeed. Say he succeeded. Ezra succeeded because of the good hand of God being upon him. God blessed that man. And all these things were in his background. All these things were in his history. It made him the man that he was. So the good things could come to the people. and God was using this man. ultimately God was getting the glory. In closing, in verse 10, the determination of the leader, the resolve, say the resolve of the leader. The resolve of the leader. Well, what did Ezra do with all of this? What's he going to do with the preparation and the favor that's in his life? What to do now? What to do? We have all of these things. Now, what are we going to do with it? And we see in verse 10 what Ezra did with it. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of his Lord, of the Lord, and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. The first thing he did with what he had was seek God. You have to seek God. God, what do you want me to do? Brother Timothy, you've been through so many different things in your life, and you're not the only one, but think about it as I talk to him. Think about your own life. Think about your history. All the things that you've gone through classes you've taken, preparation, disappointments. You know, all these things you've gone through in your life, the history. Look at your history and think about all you've gone through and your wife. It's all going to come together and culminate into what God wants for you to do in this life. And you have to get to a place, once you go through all of that, you've got all of this history, you've got what makes a leader then you have to say, okay, God, now what do I do with it? And the only way you can determine what you're going to do with it is if you seek God. Lord, what do you want me to do with all this? I've got mentors. I've got a spiritual father. Your hand is upon me, blessing me. I've been through preparation. I've got favor with people in the world, people in the church. and God, your hand is on me. I'm blessed. What do you want me to do? And you have to seek God and you have to get in His Word. And, and once you determine what your mission is in life, once you find out after seeking God what God wants you to do with everything that's making you you, when you find that out, then you have to take a step of faith. Amen. And so what we see here in Ezra is this man with everything that he has, he's wanting to know what to do and he sought the law of God. He set his heart to seek the law of God. What does God want me to do? But well, He said, I'm going to seek the law of God. He knows what he, you have to know what God is calling you to do. I can't tell you that. You can come to me and I can talk to you about it and I can confirm, maybe, maybe, confirm for you what you believe God wants you to do. But you have to know it. You have to know what, God, what that call is. You have to know what that mission is. And then once you know it, then by faith you have to step into it. This man wasn't just willing just to have all this in his background and not do anything with it. He wanted to know what to do with it and when he found out what to do, what the mission was, what the call of God was, then he stepped into it by faith. Not knowing the future. You're not gonna know the future. When God calls you, you know your mission, and He's told you what to do. Now you gotta step into it by faith. There's all kinds of stuff waiting for you. Good and bad. I was talking to Brother Edmunds today on the phone. He called me up. I was telling him, you know, he's talking about different things. And he said, You know, it'd be nice talking about knowing the future. That's what we got off. We talked about knowing the future. And he said, It'd be nice if we knew the future that we could just jump right into it. And I said, you know, I've talked to him about that a little bit. I said, maybe the Lord doesn't show us the future because everything in the future is not good. That's what I told him. So he was, well, why don't God show me the future? Because if he showed you the future, he'd have to show you the good and the bad. So he doesn't show us the future because he, he, it's not all good. When you step into that call and that mission, you step into it by faith, you don't know what's coming. And you have to be willing to be like Ezra to say, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. Because I know I'm calling. I know what my mission is. Do you know the outcome? No, I don't know the outcome. But that's not what matters. What matters is I stepped out by faith into this call and this mission. Praise the Lord. I mean, you got a pastor who's going to help you. That's what mentorship is and pastors for to help you. But I want you to succeed in ministry if you're called to ministry. I don't want you to go out there and fall on your face and fail. And God doesn't want it either. He wants you to be successful. And this man was successful. So he sought God, and once he found the will of God and the call of God, then he stepped in by faith, not knowing what the future had for him. Nobody knows that. Like I've read or heard in the past, if you knew what you were going to go through when you got into ministry, you would never get in ministry. If you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You've heard Brother Emerson stand up here and tell you and be honest with you. He said, only be, only for God do I do what I do. Only for God. So if it wasn't for God's call in His life, He would not be doing it. And I'm telling you, that's the way it is. But you have to step by faith once you know His will, His mission, and His call. And you're not going to know the future. You want God to show you everything, you're not going to know it. Because it's fraught with danger and there's gonna be good times and there's gonna be battles and struggles. Do you understand? And you're gonna stand up and preach holiness and you know, you're gonna tell people, This is the way we're gonna live. We're not gonna cut our hair, women. You know, like we're stupid and we don't know it. I'm not stupid. Stand up and preach the truth to people, tell them the Bible says this. And they go just the opposite direction. What are you going to do with people like that? People, and that's why I'm telling you that Ezra is going to stand up in a time when Israel is backsliding. And he's going to address sin in the nation. And when he does, those people, revival is going to hit those people. And the only way he could turn backslidden Israel around, Ezra, was by the word of the living God. And that's all you're gonna have. If you go, you step into those calls and those missions of God, all you got is the word of God and the anointing of God to stand up and turn those situations around and bring revival and restoration. It's the only way it's gonna come. And that's what he used. So he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. To seek the law of the Lord. Step into the will of God. Once you know the call and the mission, the will of God. But in that same passage, that same verse right there is letting you know something else about ministry or leadership. You have to have an appetite for the Word of God. Look at it. For Ezra had prepared his heart, and then to seek the law of the Lord. You have to be a per- listen. I've already read to you. Was it uh, uh, verse six? Yes, that he was already. He is a ready scribe. He's a skilled scribe already. But notice what a skilled scribe does. He seeks the law of the Lord. A skilled scribe still seeking truth. A skilled scribe still learning. A skilled scribe still having appetite for God. See the resolve that's in this man, the determination that's in this man. Once he knows the will and the call of God in his life, he's stepping into it, but then he says, I'm a scribe, but I'm still hungry. I'm a, he's already a scribe, but he knows he's got a lot more to learn. If you're called to preach, if you're really... Listen to me, everybody. Listen me. If you're called to preach and you don't love God's Word, if you don't love to study God's Word, if you don't have an appetite for God's Word, you're not called to preach. A person that's called to preach and teach the Word of God, they can't get enough learning. They can't get enough of the Word of God. It's not drudgery to sit down and study it. It's it's it's, just, you know what I'm saying? Appetite for it. And the appetite you had, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. The appetite that I had to learn the, the Word of God. God's blessed us financially. But I'm going to tell you something. The thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I've spent on software, resources to study with. Why'd I do that? If I'm not careful, every time, you know, Logos offers another book, if I'm not careful, I'm going to be buying it. And I've got over 4,000 volumes in my computer. Okay? When am I going to have time to read 4,000 volumes anyway? And I'm going to add another one? And another one? Why is that? I can't get enough knowledge of God's Word. I'm always hungry and I, I want to learn more. And that was Ezra. He was already a scribe, but he was hungry, had an appetite, and he wanted to learn all he could learn about the word of God. If you're called to preach, man, Brother Dice when he was pastoring, you know, it's before I think it's before computers. You know, he bought he bought his books and stuff, right? And it wasn't in software form, his book form. And and when he when he moved from one place to another, he had have to get a travel trailer just for his books. I mean, not a travel trailer. A U-Haul. Sorry. A U-Haul just for his books. Going down the road. (laughs) All of his commentaries and books in the back of that thing. He used to say when he died, he's a worm going to come out of his mouth and he was a bookworm. That's the truth. He couldn't get enough of the Word of God. It's going to cost you. You have to invest in knowledge of the Word of God. You got to put some money into it, and if you put some money into it, it means something to you. I remember, Brother Dice used to when he when I had the opportunity to go to, I went to one class, and I remember uh, an actual, you know, class where we studied a book in the Bible it was the Book of Acts, and uh, you know, he just always hungry, thirsty, wanting to know more about the Word of God. He just couldn't get enough of the Word of God. But you know what he used to say when we go to the Book of Acts class? He said, this doesn't mean anything to you. This class doesn't mean anything to you because it didn't cost you anything. He said, but if I'd have collected $100, I think he said, $100, something like that at the door for you to be in the class, it meant something to you. He said, but because I didn't charge you, it doesn't mean anything to you. Well, it meant something to me. He did not charge me anything, but but I know where he was coming from. It, didn't, it doesn't cost you something. It doesn't mean anything. Don't go buy yourself a $5 Bible. You go buy yourself a good Bible. Bible that means something to you. You're Not going to throw it off in the corner somewhere. Where's your Bible? Don't know. You will if it's a hundred dollar Bible because it means something to you. You need to invest in the Word of God. Invest in a good Bible. Invest in good 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 study tools. You know, it's not going to mean anything to you unless you invest in it. You're called to preach, and you don't even have a you don't even have a concordance in your home. You're not called to preach. Because you don't even know what a concordance is. <laughs> don't lift your hand. Come talk to me after church. I'll tell you what a concordance is. A new convert doesn't know what a concordance is. No problem. But they got some preachers, men that claim to be preachers, they might not even know what a concordance is. this man was a scribe, a ready scribe, a skilled scribe, but never lost hunger. His hunger is appetite for the Word of God. Now, let me talk to you. And I'm, I'm almost done, brother, so you're going to go picture turkey. But <laughs> let me just say this to you, okay? As a church, you know what's going to keep me hungry for the Word of God? I'm hungry for the Word of God, but I, you know what will keep me there? It's preaching to hungry people. There's, there's something there's something I can't do for you. I can't make you love the word of God. You have to get a love for the word of God yourself. I'd never be able to make you love the word of God. And if you love the word of God, I love the word of God. If you love the word of God, then I'm gonna take I'm gonna take time. Because I know the people I'm gonna to preach to are not people gonna to go to sleep on me. They're people that really want to know the Word of God. Amen? Brother Dice used to aggravate him a little bit. He'd get to preaching, you know, and people start going to sleep on him. Brother Dice, he'd go to sleep on Brother Dice. He'd start talking, to him, You want me to throw a songbook at you, you know? You better breathe or you're going to die. And he said, You go to sleep on, telling the church he was preaching to, you go to sleep on what they pay me $500 a night to preach in California. You go to sleep on it. He said, They pay me $500 a night for what you go to sleep on. Didn't value, didn't put a value on it. No value. This man put a value on the word of God. He invested his time, even though he was already a scribe. Amen. You got to put, some, got to put some money into it, man. Knows God's will. Step by faith into it. He's studying. He's hungry. Got an appetite for the word of the Lord. And then, the next thing, not only is he going to study the Word of God, but He's going to do it. See, He had a determination, a resolve to seek God. What's His will? What's His call? Now I'm going to prepare, study more, even though I'm already a scribe. And then I'm going to do what I'm studying. Which means simply personal holiness. A good leader has to have personal holiness in their life has to be personal holiness. He didn't just study the Bible just so he could have a sermon to preach. He studied the Bible to learn the Bible so he would know what to do. He would live it. Personal holiness. Okay, I love every one of you, but I'm going I'm to be real with you. You want some of my time? And you don't care anything about the Word of God that I preach to you? and I preach the Word of God to you and tell you the Word of God, and you don't do anything with it, and then you want to come and talk to me personally, do something with the Word that I preach, and then come talk to me. Amen. Don't waste my time. Oh, I, can I talk to you about what? we're going to talk? You're going to talk to me about the same thing that I preach. I've already covered it from the pulpit, and you want to talk about it? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being real with you. Right. You have to love the Word of God. It has to be personal holiness in your life to do it. Say to do it. He said, I'm going to do it. Can we have a counsel session with you, Pastor? My my wife and myself need counseling. Okay, fine. But did you do what I preached to you last week? No. Okay, don't waste my time. Because if you won't listen to God, you're going to listen to me. This man was not that kind of man. He didn't just, you know, he didn't just study just to have a sermon. He studied so he could live it. Christianity is a life. It's not just picking up your Bible and having, a, you know, a devotion. Well, I had my devotional today. I read my Bible. It's not about just reading your Bible and having a devotion. It's about doing what you read. It's about reading and finding out what God is saying to you. What do you need to do? What do you need to change? How do you need to live? This man lived it! Hallelujah. Amen? Effective. He was successful because he lived it. Personal holiness. And then to teach, he's determined to teach Israel. To teach in Israel statutes and judgments. took faith, but he did it. Took faith. Ready scribe, prophet, could have been a priest. A man with a spiritual genealogy, with mentors that created passion in him. A man that was prepared. Not an overnight sensation. A man that had favor with outsiders and insiders. A man who had ability to convince people to follow, to leave Babylon. A man who God's hand was on and a man who was blessed. and A man who was determined to do something with it. What do I do? Now I know what I need to do. And I step out by faith into that call. And I study and I study and I study and I study. study. And I live it, and I live it, and I live it, and I live it. And I teach it, and I teach it, and I teach it. Determination. Determination. These are the things that make a spiritual leader. Because I'm talking about the church. And if if you want to take a few of the nuggets and whatever, and you want to apply it to the business world, that's fine. But I'm not preaching to the business world. I'm preaching to the church and those who want to be leaders in the kingdom of God. Ezra is the example. And this man, his love for God's Word impressed a great king that wasn't even a believer. This man's love For God's Word influenced the church. Not only in his generation, but in generations to come. Ezra, the second Moses the Jews called him, was one of the greatest men in your Bible. He's an example to all of us on what it takes to be a godly leader. Amen. Okay? and I'm going to close with this I'm going to look at some young men and some young ladies and I'm going to tell you don't waste your life God has a purpose for you He's got a plan for you you have a pastor you have mentorship you have Sunday school teachers you have youth leaders you have people that work with you in the choir, and on and on it goes. Don't waste it. You are a generation that needs to be impacted by the Word of the living God so that you can go forth and impact the world. One thing that tells me as a pastor, if I've got a potential leader on my hands is they're on that front row of that church they're on the front pews of that church and every time they come to church they got a pen and a spiral notebook and they write everything down that's preached you know why they do that? the same reason I did because I knew that someday when I stood behind the pulpit, I wanted everything that I had heard preached to me to the best of my ability. I wanted it written down so that I could teach it to you. You give me somebody with that kind of appetite that's got a pen in hand and a spiral notebook every time they come to church. And I'm not I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying people who are they just do it because they love God's word. And they know God's got a call in their life. And they write it down so they can remember. Not just have a record of it that they can put in a bookcase somewhere, just so they can remember it better. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. There may be one, there may be five, there may be ten, there may be more in this church tonight that you will impact and influence the generation that you're in because you're like Ezra. You can only be like him. There'll never be another one. (laughs) He's too great. He was too great. Praise the Lord. Would you stand? Father God, we thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, that we can take your word and we can preach your word tonight to this people, to this church. And I pray those, Lord, that are the remnant in this house that this word is preached to, will take it and apply it and let it ignite a fire and a flame in their souls and their spirits. Lord, I thank You. Let this be an education center, a training center for those who will go out and serve You and further Your kingdom in their generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm to pray for you. Lord, I just ask you to bless your people tomorrow as they gather with families, some believers, some unbelievers possibly in their midst, that they would let their light shine and your presence would fill their house. That you would be glorified, Lord. In this thanksgiving tomorrow. We're thankful tonight Lord. For your word. Thankful tonight for the church. Thank you Lord for letting us be here. In this service. Thank you for. Memories that will be. Created tomorrow. As people celebrate. Let us remember to always be thankful. To you. For all you've done for us. let us glorify you with a holy zeal like Phineas and Ezra. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving. We love you. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.